Good evening. Thank you for coming out tonight. We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, I want to introduce you to Todd Moorhead from Grafted Ministries, and he's going to be sharing with us tonight about the Arab-Israeli conflict in the Middle East and, um, and the ministry that, that he's involved with. And um, uh, what we're going to go ahead and do tonight is we're going to start off with a, uh, a 25 minute uh, segment of some um, um, uh, documentary that Todd's done over there in the Middle East. And then we'll come back up here and uh, Todd will share for quite some time. We'll have an opportunity as well to uh, be able to ask questions that you have um, concerning what's going on over there and concerning his ministry, okay? And uh, Todd, could I ask you to set up the, what we're going to watch right now? And yes. Am I on? Can you hear me? There, okay. Um, thank you for coming out tonight, everyone. Um, so what you're going to see is uh, a 25-minute, um, we call it a docu-series. Um, it's the uh, pilot episode, so it's the first episode of what will be six, um, six series. So there's only one right now, and it's the pilot episode. So we're going to see that, and it's going to give you some history, enough history, and it. it's not exhaustive, enough history to get you thinking that not much has changed um, in the last, I mean, we go back all the way to 1929 in, in, in the first episode that you're going to see here. And so pay attention to what was going on then within the Arab-Palestinian society and what's going on today. Um, and uh, they'll give you some clues. Um, now, it's, it's called Hope in the Holy Land, the series. And the first episode is called Liberation or Occupation. Now... The uh, actual, we made a documentary as well called Hope in the Holy Land, delving beneath the surface of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So hopefully after you watch just this one episode, you will watch the entire documentary. They are totally separate. We did not take episode one out of the documentary. What we did is we had so much amazing footage that we could not fit into a, the, the documentary that we decided to create a series on its own. So you're gonna be seeing the ser uh, episode one of the series tonight. Let's go ahead and we'll jump right into that and then we'll come back up in uh, about 25 minutes. The Holy Land is a place that is sacred to Jews, Christians, and Muslims. It's been a destination for pilgrims from every corner of the world. But the Holy Land is also a place of tremendous conflict, chaos, and controversy. In November 1947, when the United Nations voted in favor of partitioning the land into two states, one Jewish and one Arab, the Jews accepted the plan, but the Arabs rejected it. After the new Jewish state declared independence in 1948, five Arab nations launched a war against it. Israel survived, and since then has faced numerous other attacks. But many throughout the world have continued to debate Israel's claim to the territory and have condemned its treatment of the Palestinians. Some have even accused Israel of being an apartheid state. As a Christian who has always supported Israel's right to exist, I was challenged to look deeper into the conflict. 
and to listen to the stories and perspectives from people on both sides. And this is what I discovered on my journey. Growing up here as an Israeli Jew, what were you taught about the Palestinians? We were told, on one hand, we feared the Palestinians because they always, we were viewed as potential attacks coming from them. But when we grew up to meet them and to learn who they are, we discovered human beings on the other side. And most of them are not terrorists. They might not love us, but we can live with them. When I was growing up, we were farmers. Uh, we had Palestinians who came working with my dad in the fields. Um, I would consider them as human beings, I guess. People who's working for a living to provide for their families. Like, same as my dad was. Growing up, what were you taught about the Palestinians? That they hate all Jewish people. And they want to kill all of us. I was taught about the Palestinians that they're human beings like us. And uh, we have to treat them with respect as treat any other people around the world. 99% of the Israeli parents educate their kids to be good people, not to hate anybody. As that's, the, that's most of the people. You know, and also in the States where you came from, you have crazy people from both sides. In the West Bank, what are you taught towards Israel and the Jewish people. It's the stereotype that, that grows up with you, that you are, you are the enemy of the Israelis and the Israeli is your enemy. That is how your grandfather was thinking and your, your, your parents, your, how that's the flow. It's not easy to get rid of. In your school books, did you learn anything about uh, the Jewish people being here a long time ago? No, you know, it's uh, before two centuries, it's uh, non-Jewish in uh, Palestine. It's in the, maybe it's one century only. what percentage of Israelis genuinely hates Arabs and Palestinians? Maybe 60? At least 10%. That's what I think. Something like 10%? Just around. There's always that 10% of people doing yeah. the other way. Yeah. I think uh, most of the people don't really hate them. 
they more are uh, angry at them for they we feel hurt by them. We feel attacked by them, even though it looks like we're attacking them. We we're just defending ourselves. I don't think anybody just hates them for no reason. I know Israelis who have personal views that maybe life would be better if the Palestinians weren't here, but I don't know anyone who really genuinely hates Palestinians. I don't have hate for a certain race or culture. Do I hate Mahmoud Abbas? I probably do hate him, right? But just because I hate him, it doesn't mean that I hate, you know, the other, you know, Mahmoud that lives in the next town that's driving down, that's driving down the street right next to me. I don't hate him. Look, if, the, if people sitting here in quiet, no problem. It's like you, when you come from California to here, it's wonderful, no problem. But if you sit here, and I'm afraid to go in this market, just because I, in one second I can be cutted with knife because I'm Jew? What percentage of the Palestinian population genuinely hates Israelis? You can say like 70%? 70? Yes. Okay. It's nice people, but the problem is not with the Jewish, with the Zionists. We don't have any problem between Palestinian or Jewish. This is not the problem. The problem is just the Zionists. That's it. Zionists are Jews who have longed and advocated for an independent state within their ancestral homeland. This longing was affirmed by the UN in 1947. But many Arabs to this day believe that the establishment of a Jewish state in a territory that was once controlled by Muslims is an injustice against their people, especially the expansion of Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria, also known as the West Bank. <laughs> I hate the Zionists, but I don't hate the Jewish. Ah, okay. Because what? the Jewish is person like me. He have a mother, he have a father, he want to life. But the Zionists, this is the cancer. How do you personally feel towards Palestinians? I don't feel any anger or grudge towards them, uh, but the terrorists in particular. Um, I do feel that we should be thriving uh, for peace. I feel sorry for the Palestinians uh, for living in, also in fear, and also wanting, also to want all time to have uh, independence. We have what we're living for, and they have what they're living for, and like as long as like you know, they don't cause uh, or we, we don't cause any problems with each other, then let's go on living. The majority want to live in peace. I'm sure of that, but in the in the Arab world, it doesn't work like that. The majority doesn't have anything to do with real life. It's not a democracy. What do you feel towards Israel? I 
وبالتالي اللي هو اللي بيحكوا عنه الحل الاوسط انه نعيش في دوله واحده ولا يمكن تصير لانه العنصريه موجوده اسرائيل انا لو امسك صهيوني ولا اسرائيلي بقتله قتل الموت انا بكرههم ما بحبش اسرائيل On my journey, I spent time in many of the cities situated along Route 60, what many call the biblical highway, which runs through Judea and Samaria. Rights to this territory have been disputed by both Israelis and Palestinians for decades. One city along this highway that has been a center of significant tension is Hebron, where three generations of Israel's founding patriarchs and matriarchs were buried. Hebron is also where David was anointed king of Israel in the late 9th century BCE. For Muslims, in addition to their strong connection to Abraham, some regard Hebron as a stopping point along the Prophet Muhammad's miraculous night journey to Jerusalem. Here, I met with Rabbi Yishai Fleischer, a local resident who is passionate about the historical connection that Jews have to this city. Shalom. This is the original Hebron. If you look at this place, you'll see 500-year-old buildings. 80% of Hebron is under total Palestinian control. 20% of the city is patrolled by the Israeli army. You see that antenna up there? Yeah. Okay, and there's a base right up there. Yeah. Okay, and these bases look down onto the Jewish community that's like a little tiny street, a little ghetto, if you will and make sure that we don't get sniped at, we don't get shot at, we don't get So you have the high killed. places to protect. We have the high places in this 20%. Yep. But we live all together, the Jews live in 3% of the city. A lot of people blame us that they say, look, Arabs can't walk in every part of your street. There's a few parts of the streets that are sensitive, so the army blocks the Arabs from walking in. We can't walk in 97% of the city. 97% of the city is a no-go zone. We're not allowed to go out there because we're Jewish, ethnically. I mean, that to me is, is the greatest apartheid in this region. Who's buried here? Todd, are you, are you solid on this? Who's buried here? Abraham. Abraham? Yeah. Who else? Isaac and Jacob. Our father, Abraham, he's the joint father of the Arabs, the Jews, and anybody who believes in the Abrahamic faiths. Right. It really is one of the most important buildings to all of humanity. Yeah, I hear this is actually ground zero of the conflict. That's right, that's right. This is the root of Isaac and Ishmael, the two brothers, okay? So we are cousins with our Arab cousins, right. indeed. This is a town that really brings us all together, but because we all want to be the true sons of Abraham. Everybody wants to be the firstborn son. Everybody wants to be the real Israel, okay? So it might be the Christians, and it might be the Muslims, and it might be the Jews. They all want to be the chosen son, so we all fight over who gets daddy's love. 1267, very important date. The Mamluks come in. Yep. They're a kind of Muslim war class from Egypt. They take over this area. They kick out the Jews and the Christians uh -huh. out of this building. Now that is chutzpah, okay? This is my pappy. This is my parents are buried here. The moms and the papas are buried here. And this is a Jewish building on top of that. Seems like colonialism. We're out of this building for 700 years. 
1492. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Correct, good. Okay, we're back to school. And also 1492. The Jews were kicked out of Spain. Jews are kicked out of Spain by? Uh, Spanish Inquisition. That's, well, yes, but that's- Ferdinand that, and Isabella. That's right, so the Christians, okay? The Christians, right, Catholics okay, yeah. are kicking us out of Spain. Yes. And the Jews are, are looking for a new home. Many of them end up in Istanbul, which was once Constantinople, right? Okay. In 1507, the Turks, the Ottomans, capture the land of Israel in this place, and the Jews are like, yippee! I could be a Turkish Ottoman subject, which they'll protect me, but live in the Holy Land. Yep. So the Jews are, are, are back, they're strong, already 1540, 500 years ago. And then in the year 1929, something bad happened. We had been living with Arabs, with the Muslims for a long time, but there was a dude who stirred up a horrible riot. His name was Haj Amin al-Husseini. He stirred up a jihadist riot, killed 67 Jews. It was really bad. And you know who's in charge at the time? The Brits. And the Brits say, we can't protect the Jews, and they kick us out. So in 1967, we come back to this town exactly 700 years after we kicked out of our own building, and then we're back. Here's the question. Is it liberation or occupation? Which one is it? Did we steal this building from somebody else? Did we dispossess other people? Or are we recouping what was rightfully ours? In 2016, I was standing over there next to that tree and I was with an Australian journalist. Mm -hmm. Australian journalist says to me, Mr. Fleischer, don't you know you're living in occupied land? My heart fell in, inside my chest, it just fell. Why? Because I thought to myself, let me get this straight. You're a white Australian, right? You guys came to your country like 200 years ago. There was an indigenous people, you decimated them. Then you planted a flag and said, let's put some shrimp on the bobby, right? Yeah. And here you are. <laughs> saying to me, and who am I? I'm a Jew. And this building behind me yeah. is the most, the greatest a proof of the bona fide claim that we are an indigenous people in this place. Our fathers, our fathers and mothers are buried here 3,800 years ago. And this building was built 2,000 years ago by Jews. And you're telling me that I'm an occupier in a city that I've lived in for about 3,500 years? That's absurd. We're in the Jewish cemetery of Hebron. Jews and Arabs had lived in Hebron in relative peace for hundreds of years. In fact, people would move to Hebron because they thought, okay, Jews and, and Arabs kind of get along here. There started coming around messages that the Jews are killing Arabs in Jerusalem, that they're trying to take over the Al-Aqsa Mosque, that they're doing all kinds of things. And then what happened was is that this riot spread. It was like a mob. These people weren't just killed and that's it. They were hacked to death. They lost fingers, arms, rapes. And there was a reason for that. It wasn't just because of bloodlust. It was so that those pictures would get out and scare people. The person behind the ideology of this mob was a man named Haj Amin el-Husseini. He didn't believe in the partition plan. He didn't believe in a two-state solution. He believed in annihilation. And a little known fact about Haj Amin el-Husseini is that he was going to be the person who was going to set up concentration camps in Israel to kill the Jews of Israel and the Jews of the Middle East. There were Arabs who pushed back against that jihad. There was an Arab, an old Arab named Abu Shakir. He stood in front of the of this massive, this like mob, and stood in front of them and said, "You will not enter my house." 
They're like, you're, you're hiding Jews. He says, you're not gonna enter my house. They took a machete and chopped at his leg and he lost his leg, but they left that house alone. And he did that because he was an Arab who was a non-jihadist. That's what I'm always trying to explain to people that like, don't, don't think this is a racial battle. This is, an, this is an ideological, religious idea that has infiltrated into Arab and Muslim minds, but it doesn't have to be. There are many Arabs and Muslims who didn't think and, and, and continue today not to think that way. We're still fighting the jihadist ideology, which today is in the form of Hamas, which is really the ruling party of the city. Last time I was in Hebron, I was told by the Palestinians that the settlers consistently throw rocks down on them. There is sometimes violence from our side towards the Arabs. The official line of the Jewish community is that we are 100% against, we condemn that kind of violence, we're against vigilantism, no ifs, ands, or buts. However, in reality, here in the Middle East, when somebody pushes you, and you don't push back, you show weakness. And there are people in this community who say, no, you're not gonna push me around. I have every right to live here, and we're not gonna be victims of the jihad. How do you think radical Islam contributes to the conflict? Uh, people like Hamas, people like Jihad Islami, and even small parties in Palestine, which they are most religious, these people believe that this is a land which is Allah has given to the Muslims. Not just this land, all of this lands, all the Middle East and all the world even, they will take it step by step. If you go to the mosques of Gaza, you will listen to the voices of Imams calling for that we will conquer over Rome one day. So if they are looking for a Rome, what about Tel Aviv? If they are looking for the United States and the New York to take over it one day, what about Jerusalem? The root cause of the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians it's, it's a religious, ideological conflict. Islam is very simple, black and white. You either have Dar al-Islam or Dar al-Kharb, the house of Islam or the house of the sword. So either you're gonna come under Islamic sovereignty or you're gonna come under Islamic sword. This is the same reason that all these nations said, no, we'll never uh, give citizenship to Palestinian refugees from 1948 if we do that then we're recognizing Jewish sovereignty in this area of the Middle East, which is very close to the caliphate, whether you say it's in Saudi Arabia or Iran, it doesn't matter. This whole area is Dar al-Islam, the house of Islam as far as they're concerned. And so there's zero compromise, zero willingness within Islam to give up a centimeter of land to any other sovereignty. This is the reason that the partition plan of the United Nations was completely rejected by the Arab League in 1947. And it's the reason today that the Palestinian leadership is so reticent to, to actually come to the table and make peace with Israel because the, the Islamic extremist voices within their society, for them, that, that would be completely unacceptable. I mean, radicalism has a part to play. Not a small part, right? Not a small part. The radicalism, I think, has completely emerged from the lack of us being able to reach any progress on real peace in this land. But and what about ISIS? Is, I mean, the whole Middle East is being yeah. affected by this, and it has nothing to do with the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. It has to do with the caliphate, like sacred space, like taking over the land. What, what is the conflict of ISIS? What, 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 create, what created ISIS? I don't know exactly what created ISIS. I would say what created ISIS, again, 
is the lack of political, economic progress in countries like Iraq and like Syria that just create fertile ground for groups like this to grow. With the Christian community, especially in the West Bank, um, there's no mention of radical Islam. They only talk about the occupier. They only talk about Israel. Um, it seems to be the elephant in the room that they're not talking about. I live in the Middle East. In the Middle East, there is radical Islam. Let me be clear, that's not most of the people. The jihadi Salafi Sunni, three different words, that are the ones that are the extreme radical Islam, exist throughout the Middle East and in the West Bank and in the Gaza Strip and in the State of Israel. The question is what you do with it. In Israel, we have, over the last five years, arrested two dozen Israeli citizens who became extreme radical Islamists, and they're in jail. It's against the law to call for the annihilation of people who are not radical Islamists, for example. I have never seen the Palestinian Authority arrest one Palestinian for being radical Islamist that wants to go join the Islamic State, that wants to go join Al-Qaeda, as two different ones that we've heard of before. When we look at it from the Israeli perspective, that just adds on in because it's their own subversive portion of their population that in horrific potential could become a strong force, certainly in the Gaza Strip, but also in the West Bank. When we unfortunately, blindly, started attacking the civil, those people actually, who had nothing to do in this conflict, they are like me. I'm not holding a gun, and they're not holding guns. They might be paramedics, they might be doctors, they might be nurses, they might be like any normal person. And that's the only difference. The blind hate makes you attack anyone just because he's a Jew. We need to de-escalate the situation by changing the environment, by changing how people feel. If people feel that there is a value for their life, they will not do such things. But uh, when they feel there is no value, then they can go and die easily. And we have a, a voices which you will never listen about it, which is speaking the truth, speaking I, what I believe it's a truth, which is it's our problem too, it's our history too, it's problem in our history and our ideology and our, the way we think about it, it's also a problem. We have to recognize that, we have to, to, to just confess our mistakes. Because if we didn't confess our mistakes, we will continue to do it. And we will continue leading our people to death. What's your greatest hope for this area? I hope that one day uh, this will all be under Israeli sovereignty. I hope that this city will have Arabs and Jews living in it, but I hope that these houses will be fixed up and turned into an incredible artist colony. Look at this place. These domes, I these arches. See, yeah, I can see that. Like it's a... just majestic. What's got to go is the element of jihad, okay? Yep. And if there's hate in our heart, we got to let that go as well. Spending time with Yishai was pretty enlightening and taught me that animosity toward the Jews within the land started before the State of Israel was reestablished in 1948. And from what the Palestinians told me, that animosity continues to this day. But I'm also learning that many Arabs have a strong connection to this land that goes back hundreds of years, which makes some of the anger they feel understandable.
At the moment, the divide between the Jews and the Arabs in this land runs very deep. But my faith teaches me to be a peacemaker and a truth seeker. C.S. Lewis wrote, Seek unity, and you will find neither unity nor truth. Seek the light of truth, and you will find both unity and truth. My hope for both Arabs and Jews in the Holy Land is that they would seek the light of truth and that it would compel them towards unity and peaceful coexistence. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. So why don't we just start off with uh, you giving us some personal background of yourself. Sure. Um, well, I grew up in Southern California. Um, both my, my parents were believers, and I became a believer at a really young age. I was four, about four years old. Um, and it seems with that decision, along, um, really early on, a love for the Jewish people and the land of Israel followed suit. Um, it was it was certainly before my pre preteens that that happened, and I always thought it was normal. Um, and then until I realized um, later in my twenties that it was maybe a little not so normal. And then I, I met my wife, and she said, "No, this is weird." <laughs> she didn't think it's weird anymore, but weird meaning definitely different. Um, although I think it should be normal uh, that Christians should love. Uh, Israel and uh, the, the people of Israel. Um, and so uh, I actually went to Israel when I was 18 uh, with my dad and um, it really ignited this, it like kind of threw gas on the fire for, for this love. Um, and then I, uh, I decided uh, to go, um, I started actually leading uh, Israel tours myself. I was working for um, Campus Crusade for Christ at the time with the Jesus Film Project and I started leading surfers to Israel um, as kind of like, uh, uh, as a way to kind of slide in because um, there is surf in Israel. And, um, and that really, uh, I, I just loved helping people see, um, meet the people and also re read God's word, open up God's word in Israel on the spot. Um, and then uh, a few years went by and I started working for a Christian surfing ministry and I implemented their missions program there and I started going to Israel a lot. And, and this, this ministry was making films. So I, I actually made uh, my first film while I was out walking in water and it's called Promised Land, uh, the story of Israel told through the eyes of surfers. Because I, I noticed that all the surfers that I met, one of them was in, you saw his interview real quick. Um, all the surfers there had everything in common with every other Israeli. They, they're surrounded by people who hate them. They have a Holocaust story in their, um, in their family. And uh, among other things, I thought, well, what a great unique way to tell the story of Israel through the lens of surfing. And that kind of carries it along. You absolutely do not have to be a surfer to love this movie. Um, that's free on YouTube, by the way, if you wanna just go watch it, The Promised Land. Um, if you put Promised Land surf documentary in YouTube, you'll find it. And um, that really, projected my, it, it, it's like God projected my ministry and sharpened the vision. Um, and then uh, a number of years ago, I started Grafted Ministries, um, I, where I really could run with my own vision. And um, Grafted Ministries is all about awakening Christians and loving the Jewish people. So what 
um, what we do is threefold. We, I, I take people to Israel, um, I make films, and I have a, a study guide that I teach through called Grafted In, Understanding God's Role for You and Your Jewish Neighbors, which is really the flagship of my ministry of really helping Christians understand how this all works, what is our Christian responsibility, how, you know, uh, who is the church, who are the Jews, um, where did the church go wrong? In other words, like, how come I don't know any of this, <laughs> right? Um, and so, yeah, that's a short synopsis of, uh, of, of my ministry now. I have, uh, John's my father-in-law here. John, can you raise your hand? Yep. And, um, and so, and Benjamin's in the back there. He, that's my son. He's my oldest son. I'm married to Renee, uh, John's daughter. And we have four kids, um, Benjamin, and then Sage is eight, uh, almost eight. Not, yeah, she's seven, but she's going to be eight soon. Um, I'm already counting the days. I don't want her to grow up. Um, and then I have twin terrors, um, Rosie and Summer, who um, are slowly or quickly killing us. And um, they're five years old, two girls. So that's my life. Yeah. And, and cool. yeah. You know, when you mentioned that, I was just thinking about that seriously the last couple of weeks. And I think it comes from uh, when you talk about growing up with a love for the Jewish people, I think that's a natural byproduct of reading the Bible. Uh, you see yes. God's love for them and him bringing uh, them into this land and his blessings upon them and his faithfulness to them, uh, even though they are so unfaithful uh, so often. I agree with you. I think if you just read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to come up with a love of God's people. Unless somebody tells you, no, that's not how it is. You need to read it like this. Every time you, in the Old Testament, you see Israel, cross it out and put the church because yeah. Uh, it's replacement theology, which is one of the most dominant theologies uh, still today. Um, and, and those people who are, they are definitely reading the Bible, but they've been told, oh, I have to put on this lens um, while I read the Bible. And Israel's no longer Israel. They're no longer God's chosen people. The church has taken all the blessings of Israel. And that gets people really messed up mm -hmm. uh, because you lose God's heart. You completely lose God's heart in it. Um, not only for Israel, but for the world. Mm -hmm. And Tom, could you speak to that just for a moment? Why, uh, why would someone, what is the foundation for replacement theology? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I, I believe, so replacement theology, what happened was, um, as you guys probably know, um, when, when uh, Jesus, well, he had 12 disciples, right? And even more than that, but they were all Jewish. And so, even some, some scholars, scholars say, even about eight years later, um, there were, it was still a Jewish church, meaning they were all Jews. Not one Gentile had come in until Cornelius, right? The Roman centurion. And so this continued. And then as Paul goes out on his missionary journeys, more and more Gentiles come in. And I believe they bring their anti-Semitism into the church. Now, the, the, the Jews are not growing in numbers, right? They're not, they're slowly dwindling in the church. And what happens in, in 133, 135 is the Bar Kokhba revolt. It's the second Jewish revolt. And Rome completely kicks all the Jews out of Jerusalem. Prior to that, in 70 AD, uh, Rome destroyed, in the first Jewish re revolt, Rome destroyed the temple. So now the Jews are without a temple, and then 135, they're kicked out of Jerusalem. And you get these Christian Gentiles who are saying, look, this is divine punishment uh, for the rejection of Jesus, which I, I actually agree with. It, it, it was a byproduct of that. 
but they would go further and say, this is proof that God no, no longer has a, a covenant with the Jewish people and that that covenant, um, all the blessings are the churches. Now you have the centers in, down in Alexandria and Egypt where there were Gentile centers of the church where this really flourished with like uh, church father Origen um, and others. And what happened is they brought Greek philosophy into the church. And in Greek philosophy, you would read, you would read it wouldn't be the, um, the normal plain sense of scripture that you would read for. You would read for the higher meaning, right? The higher meaning was the more spiritual meaning. So Israel was easily allegorized to something else as the church, right? Um, and the most horticultural topographical promises to Israel, like of restoration, like God's gonna restore, physically restore Israel and spiritually restore Israel, they were allegorized and it was very easy. So this didn't happen because of a proper biblical hermeneutic, but it happened because of Greek philosophy that crept into the church. And it, I mean, you get into Augustine, four, fourth century roughly, um, and it, it just steamrolls from there. It goes out of control to where replacement theology was undeniable. I mean, the theology of it was, it was unquestioned, I should say, all the way up until the reformers when people started reading their Bibles again and realizing that God indeed has promises to Israel and he will fulfill them. Yeah. And how do you, what, what percentage do you think of the, the evangelical mainstream denominations would be uh, replacement, uh, believe in replacement theology today? Um, I heard from Olivier, um, Olivier uh, Melnick, I believe his name, uh, from Chosen People's Ministries. I believe he quotes it two-thirds of the church. Okay. Uh, yeah, but okay, so if that's not, it may, if that's too high, even, even one-third's way too high. Um, but it's all that to say it's very significant. Mm -hmm. Very, like most reformed theology tends to be, uh, in covenant theology, tends to be replacement. Not all of it, but it tends to go that way. Most mm -hmm. of it does. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's that's uh, it's something that I, I think typically in circles like like our church uh, or in Calvary chapels you you tend to think that everybody believes that right. way that yes. uh, a literal approach and that's really the difference isn't it it's, it's a literal yes. approach versus a a spiritualizing the passage right. and looking yeah, and at allegorizing it. yeah exactly mm -hmm. and thank God for Calvary chapels like that because or like this and like all the Calvaries around. I think, and I think that's why a lot of people in Southern California don't really know so much about replacement theology because they, they get, they get, they're, they're surrounded by good Bible teaching a lot of the times, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, in regard, especially in regards to Israel. You know, that's a really good point because it, it's typical, not just Calvary chapels, but, but a number of, of churches that are teaching the Bible, teaching through the Bible, you're, you're, read, you're teaching it and reading it like you would pretty much any other book. Right. You're taking what it has to say literally, whereas in a lot of churches, you're, you've got sermons that are presented, and so you're getting practical ways to live, but not necessarily learning what the Bible has to say. Yeah, it never gets down deep way. enough to help you understand anything. It mm -hmm. just gives you like the tip for the day. Kind of. <laughs> and I think There's good just, stuff, obviously. There's good stuff with that, Absolutely, but. <laughs> absolutely. But I think one <laughs> I didn't of, mean to diminish it that much. One, <laughs> of, one of the things that I think is, is important to point out is that, uh, you know, what, why is taking, uh, studying the Bible literally the right way and, and not 
uh, allegorizing it, let's say. And I think one of the key things that I see is when you look uh, at prophecy as an example, and you see how the prophecies of the first coming of Jesus were fulfilled literally. And so it, they, weren't, they, they weren't spiritualized. And so as we look at not only the fulfillment of the second coming of Jesus, but, but what God had to say in the promises to his people, the Jews, uh, back under the old covenant, but also going forward and looking at sure. what he was going to do in the, the final plan of restoration for those people. And, and one thing to keep in mind as well is God knew exactly what was going to happen, but before the creation of the world. So the, the crucifixion of Jesus and the Jewish people being, being central in that, I, it was not a surprise to him. So it wasn't the straw right. that broke the camel's right. back, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, there was no, yeah, no surprises to God. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, you, you've talked about the, your, your background and, and so forth and, and John's son-in-law, which is very, very cool that ties you so much yep. in here with us, you know, and uh, the background of the ministry. But, but uh, why the documentary? Why uh, yeah. the film? What was Great on your question. heart so in putting that together? After Promised Land came out, <clears throat> um, uh, one of my good friends now, he's a co-creator and co-producer of Hope in the Holy Land, Justin Crone. I was with him because we were showing the promised land in Chicago where he lives. And he, he opened my eyes to this whole other world. I didn't know about it. And he showed me one movie in particular, but there's about three or four that were really impactful, um, put out by the evangelical community uh, that were very, very biased against Israel, very anti-Israel. And they kind of they perpetuated the, the Palestinian narrative. Um, and I was, it, you know, in, in the full of half-truths, theology was very screwed up um, in it. And it made me angry. And I thought, wow, we have to make a movie to respond to this. And he said, I don't know how to make a movie. I said, I just did, we can do this. And that set us on a seven-year journey of making Hope in the Holy Land um, where, uh, where we decided we were gonna make the most unbiased film on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that has ever been made. And along the way, of, we're gonna, we are going to seek God's heart for both the Palestinians and the Jews in the land, and we are gonna show that in the film. So that was our goal, to share the truth behind the conflict and help Christians navigate what's going on so they know what's happening and yet, at the same time, gain God's, gain God's heart for both peoples. Okay. And w w did, did anything change when you went over there as far as your perspective uh, uh, in putting it together as you interviewed the people? Well, you know what's interesting? I'll, I'll back up. Think if, it took a long time to make the, the film because uh, we had to raise every penny of it. Um, and it cost about $400,000, so it took a while. And in that time, God was... Uh, working on my heart. Because if, if we had all the money up front, you would have seen a, di a, a different film. Mm -hmm. um, I, had read, uh, I had read a book um, during that time called Arabs in the Shadow of Israel by Tony Maloof, um, who's a strong believer. He went to be with the Lord a couple years ago. Um, but he is a Lebanese background, uh, studied at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he, um, he wrote this book uh, taking what the scriptures... Uh, say about Ishmael, who most Arabs will say, I mean, Arabs in general and, and, and sorry, Arabs in particular, Muslims in general will, they kind of, they get their line from Ishmael, the, the son of uh, Abraham. Um, and 
and it and it shows how much God loved Ishmael and the, all the promises he gave to him. And that started to change my heart towards him just from, because it starts theologically with me. Um, and I'll give you one verse that he helped me understand in context. Uh, the, in Genesis, um, Ishmael is called a wild donkey of a man. Okay, just knee-jerk reaction, good or bad? Right. Like right. really bad, yeah. right? Okay, so Ishmael's mom is Hagar. Hagar's a slave woman to Sarah, Abraham's wife, and she's not treated very well either. She's a slave woman. God promises Ishmael that he's gonna be a wild donkey, not a domesticated donkey, not a slave donkey like his mom. He's gonna be a wild donkey and he will, he will not be a slave to anybody. And that, hmm. that was like, wow, that's really, it makes sense in the context because in the context, it's all these blessings for Ishmael. And it doesn't hmm. make sense for God to give blessings and then like cut them down at the same time and then give them blessings and cut them down. So um, that was one, uh, one thing. Um, and the second part of your question, so my, my heart for, for the Palestinians began to change um, just through a, a fresh reading of, of God's word. Um, and then the second part was refresh my memory. Sorry. Just, just your, it did your perspective change as you went over to start yeah. filming as you were yeah. interviewing the people there and so developing. I, I've been to Israel about 30 times. I had led numerous trips. I, I had made a film in Israel, so I didn't come with a blank slate. That's impossible to come with a blank slate. I, not, but I did set out to, um, to learn and to ask questions. And I would say that the things that I had learned about the Palestinian people and um, the society were only strengthened. They weren't challenged. And mm -hmm. I'll give you like some mm -hmm. examples would be the, the rampant anti-Semitism that's in the Palestinian society. That was, I never came across anything that I thought, oh no, these people aren't brought up to hate Jews. There was never anything that I, I saw. In fact, in fact, I was told that uh, one of the bestsellers in, uh, in, in all of like the Arab world, so that'd be in the Palestinian territories as well, is Mein Kampf, Hitler's book, and it's in Arabic. And I thought, well, I'm gonna go and look and see if I could see it in a bookstore. And somebody said, well, there's no bookstore, so good luck. And I thought, okay, well, I guess not. Well, I'm walking downtown Ramallah, where the Palestinian Authority's headquarters are. We're talking, don't, when you th think Palestinian territories, don't think slums. Like, I'm not talking refugee camps. I'm talking uh, Levi's here, Popeye's chicken here, um, like high-end clothing stores, really nice, really nice strip mall kind of thing. And, um, and, I, and I walk on the sidewalk, and Mein Kampf is laying right there from a vendor, and it's in Arabic. Hmm. And I pick it up, and I, I couldn't believe it, though. And could you imagine if somebody was selling Mein Kampf on the street that you might say something, right? Like, what do you... Like you would go to the manager of the store, like you can't sell this stuff. This is one of the, wor the this, this book represents one of the greatest evils we've ever known. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called Mein Kampf? No, I know what city. What oh. oh, it was in Ramallah in the Palestinian territories, in the West Bank, okay. the West Bank, or Jews referred to it as uh, Judea. Um, and so that was one of those things that was, um, strengthened i you know i heard that would ha and and everywhere i went that was strengthened now what did change in my heart was 
this the the genuine Palestinians that I did meet. I met a, a, a couple of Christians as well that had amazing hearts, um, and they're willing to see things from a different perspective and and willing to be challenged by God's word. Um, and you saw a short interview of some of one of the guys in there who says, you know, the fault's also ours. Like how we've been, we've been educating our kids and um, but. Uh, and so, and you get these interviews more in in the documentary. But um, some of those really sweet, very sweet people that I met, and um, what's what's so amazing about Arab society and Palestinians in particular is they're so hospitable. So just having, uh, you know, a, a conversation over lunch and stuff like that, it was it was amazing. That like my heart really grew towards the people. Yeah. So it was like a, what they're taught is. It's it's it kind of gives you this empathy for uh, you you feel it's you feel a sadness for them because they don't many of them don't stand a chance because from this big they're taught to hate Jews and they're taught um, to that they're not taught any truth about the Jewish people by the way like you you saw one interview where I asked that guy in school were you taught that the Jews have, how long were they here and he said oh no one one or two centuries. Well, Jews have been there 3,500 years, but they don't teach that. They actually, the propaganda of the Palestinian people is they, they well, if they teach that, it's really bad for their, their story. Um, it goes against their story. So they don't teach that stuff. They don't teach that the, uh, that, um, the, uh, the temple sat on the Temple Mount. They, they say the Jews have no history here. I mean, blatant lies, blatant that anybody who can, you know, Google history can figure it out. But when you live in a world that is so saturated with this stuff, often, most often, it's not questioned. So that's, that's the tricky part for them. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing I wanted to point out, I think I saw Benjamin handing out the oh, pieces yep. of paper that has the QR code on, is yes. that right? So this this is segment one, the, uh, you know, just this 25 minute segment that was put together with some of the footage, but there is a, about a two hour uh, documentary that um, you guys did and we, my wife and I watched it and <clears throat> you'll thoroughly enjoy it. It's the same quality as what we saw right here. And it really, I, I mean, as we were uh, going through it, we wanted to pause it so many times because there's so much information that's coming to dialogue about some of the stuff that was uh, coming out of there. And I, I must say, you did a very thorough job, in my opinion, in, in trying to, to genuinely grab both sides of what was going on, as opposed to a strictly... Uh, biased. I'm going to get my viewpoint. And we, we all are biased. I understand that. But uh, to see both sides of that, which was at points was a little bit challenging. And I, I should maybe say more enlightening yeah. to me to get, a, I think, a little bit bigger picture of what's going on over there. And, um, and it does, I think I agree with what you, you said, it does strengthen you in your overall uh, opinion on, on um, you know, the, what, the, the integrity that you see coming out of Israel is right. Is yeah, I really cool. encourage you guys, um, if you liked what you saw here, <clears throat> at some point in the near future, uh, go home and, and uh, rent, you could rent Hope in the Holy Land, or we have DVDs or Blu-rays here tonight, um, but you could get it on any uh, video on demand portal like Amazon Prime, and um, it will, I think it will take your knowledge of what, it will really help you understand 
of the what caused what was the seedbed to what happened on October 7th because um, although that just happened and we filmed you know a few years ago there's nothing new I mean Hamas has been the only thing new is Hamas was successful that's what was new mm -hmm. and that's kind of I think where we want to go with this but before we do if we could just talk a, a little bit a tiny bit about your study guide mm -hmm. that you've written and um, this is about a hundred page study guide that Todd, you take your, uh, as a Bible study, you take people in your church yep. through it. And um, uh, could you tell us just a little bit about that? I, I uh, um, you know, the idea maybe of what the chapters are, just to get an idea yeah, of what, I'll, I'll what's Yeah, I'll give you an overview book. of the chapters. Um, chapter one, who is Israel? Two, what is Israel's position today in the plan of God? Three, why don't most Jews believe that Jesus is Messiah? Every Christian wants to know that, right? So these are all the questions that I had um, that, I, that I, I feel that I got really good answers to. And um, uh, chapter five, uh, four, what does the future hold for Israel? Okay, so that talks about God's redemptive plan for Israel and what he's gonna do, bringing them back to the land in spiritual restoration, for one day spiritually restoring, spiritually restoring them. And that's what he has a plan for them. Um, that's what's coming. Um, and it also talks about Satan's plan for Israel because he is scheming and we are seeing it right now, okay? We are seeing it through the, the hearts and the minds of people around us and the media and popular opinion on what's going on from people who have no idea what's happening. Shouting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. I, I saw one video that was, this guy goes, what does that mean? From what, 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 and she said, oh no, from the mountains to the sea. And he goes, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> people are just supporting this stuff. They're supporting complete genocide of the Jewish people because that's what that means. From the river to the sea. So that, real quick, it means that the, the river is the Jordan River. That's the eastern boundary of Israel. To the sea is a Mediterranean Sea. That's the western boundary of Israel. Palestine will be free. Free of what? It's free of Jews. So they just said the whole state of Israel will be free of Jews. And that's their chant. So at least know what you're chanting if you're gonna chant it. Um, okay, chapter five, where did the church go wrong? It talks about replacement theology and, and that kind of thing. And really like, why, why don't we know any of this? And that helps us understand, oh, because the church lost, lost sight of God's plan for the Jewish people. Um, completely rejected or, or dismissed Romans 9 through 11. Um, Can I jump in on that one yeah, more time yes. real quick? I, I got, when I became a Christian in my early 20s, I was in a church that uh, was like that, that um, uh, was, uh, or, or at least was very high on spiritualizing the passages and so forth. And one of the things I, I noticed with that was as uh, teachers would teach, I would look at, at what they would say about a passage and I think, wow, they are some spiritual men because I, don't, I, I could never get that out of that. And I just would look at them like that as a new Christian. And then when I became a Christian or, or after the, I, I was out of that church 
and began reading through the Bible and studying through the Bible. And over the years, the, 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 the natural conclusion you come to is a, a literal plan, promises that God gave to the Jewish people and, and, and a plan for all of mankind. And uh, of course, the, the key thing, and I don't wanna lose sight of this here tonight, is that we can have salvation through Jesus Christ and we can have our sins forgiven and enter into a relationship with God and we can have that, that hope of heaven where we're gonna be with him forever. But getting back to um, God's plan from beginning to end, he creates a paradise and then man falls and then he sets a plan into motion to redeem mankind and he sovereignly chose Abraham and, and gave promises to him, reiterated, reiterated them to Isaac and then to Jacob, used the Jewish people to uh, uh, show who he is through the law and bring his Messiah into the world. And it's so clear as you read through the scriptures that, that there is a, a plan for the nation of Israel. And don't you think Romans 11 speaks to that with the partial oh, temporal yeah. blinding that's taken place? Yeah, I mean, Romans 9 through 11, what Paul does is he... In, in the last couple of verses of chapter eight, he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And the natural question is, well, what about the Jews? It looks like they're rejected. So Paul takes Romans, takes three chapters to explain to the Gentile church in Rome what God's plan is for the Jewish people. And um, yeah, I mean, it's remarkable. And one of the things he says is that Israel right now has experienced a partial hardening of, of their hearts, partial, meaning it's not because um, some Jews come to faith uh, until the full number of Gentiles come in. And then, all, and then after that, all Israel will be saved. And he says one of the reasons, and he, he tells the Gentiles, don't be ignorant, because one of the reasons why you're saved as a Gentile is to make Jews jealous, right? Yeah. So you got to think, of how, can I make, how do I make Jews jealous? Well, in the chapter, where did the church go wrong? We, we haven't done it in, in Christendom. Like for the most part, we've made Jews angry. We've killed more Jews in the name of Jesus than we've made them jealous. Mm -hmm. It's like mm -hmm. Spanish Inquisitions, Crusades, Holocaust. Um, so uh, he, he gives this plan of how he wants to use the Gentiles who have come in to make Jews jealous. And I only see this through relationship that a Gentile will come along as Jewish friend and love them so well and show them that they have the Messiah. They have all the promises that are, are theirs and they would want it. For, uh, for themselves and become believers themselves. And, and Paul says, well, the result of, of this is that the entire world will be blessed. Yeah. yeah. You know, what comes to my mind as you're sharing is, is um, where, where we're benefiting from the new covenant and that that new covenant didn't just originate in the book of Matthew, right. but it goes all the way back 600 years before Jesus came in the book of Jeremiah. And that new covenant, God said he was going to make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And we're the ones who benefit from it right now. But when you just talked about Romans 11, saying all Israel will be saved, and this is the covenant that I will make with them when I take away their sins. That's Jeremiah, that's Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. Yeah. Yeah. And he, that's the place that he mentions it by name uh, in Jeremiah 31, 31. Uh, but Ezekiel 11 and uh, there's maybe 26 somewhere else. I can't remember. Um, it talks about the new covenant as well. It just doesn't say new covenant. But he says one, the, what's coming for Israel is a spiritual restoration where I'm going to take the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Mm -hmm. I'm going to breathe my spirit into them mm -hmm. 
and there will be my people and they'll walk in my ways. It's very new covenant. That's all new covenant language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really and, that, and that is what is coming for the Jewish people. Yeah, and so g- jumping back a little bit, when, when I start reading through the Bible then and I start studying the Bible, all of a sudden these passages that look forward to the future, to the end times, they, they make it's so much easier to understand wow. when you approach the Bible from a literal standpoint and you see God's promises and prophecies concerning the Jewish people in the last days, it, it, it's so much easier to understand than trying to allegorize yeah, it. It's all around the Jewish people. Uh, one thing we don't know, we, we are, we're often taught that the gospel will go throughout the whole world and then once that happens, then Jesus will come back. But there's still one other thing that has to happen. The gospels could still go out and they're still, he's still not coming back until the Jews ask him to come back. And remember what Jesus said over Jerusalem. He said, you will not see me again. He's talking to Jewish Jerusalem. You, Jewish Jerusalem, will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So until the Jews ask him to come back, which they will during the tribulation period, he's not coming back. And so it's very central. It doesn't make any sense if you take the Jews out of the picture. And we also have a problem. If God can make an eternal, unconditional promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the Jewish people, and then reject them and give the promise to somebody else, we've got a problem. Mm-hmm. We've got a God that we cannot trust. So could we, can we really trust a God who says, yeah, you're saved through Jesus, uh, because of what he did on the cross. Oh, well, I hope I am, but look what you did with the other people. Like, what if I mess up, <laughs> right? Yeah. And of course he didn't do that. But if you, if you believe that, if you believe that he gave the promises from, he took them from uh, the Jews and gave them to the Gentiles, there's a problem. It becomes a credibility right? issue, doesn't yeah, it? God is yeah. no longer faithful then. Yeah, yeah, good point. One last thing, I don't want to run with this too much, but one last thing, I think about the, the 70 weeks of Daniel prophecy and how the angel Gabriel was giving that to Daniel and he was specific in saying, this is for your people and your holy city, right. Jerusalem and the Jewish people. And we you go through 69 of those weeks and you see it fulfilled in the first coming of Christ and you have that final week. And it seems like the pendulum, this is how I explain it oftentimes, it's like the pendulum has stopped between the 69th and 70th week. Mm-hmm. But that passage you quoted in Romans 11, where until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, mm-hmm. and then that pendulum begins to swing again for that final seven-year yeah. period I for, believe the, that. for the Jewish people. Yeah. Yep. But if you put the church again in there, <laughs> you gotta, it, you're, you're kind sense. of doing gymnastics yeah. with trying to understand yeah. what all of that means. So I'm, so go back to, if you want to wrap up oh, what yeah, you're talking the, about with the, your book. The last chapter is very, um, it, it's ap- application. Like, what do we do with all this? How do we... Um, you know, how do we bless the Jewish people? Uh, it's what is our Christian responsibility towards Israel? Okay. So, yeah. So, so some product to, to be able to, to have, like looking at the documentary through the QR code, a uh, way to go to your website mm-hmm. and be able to access that. And we got a product table out here that's got yep. some... Uh, DVDs, Huff uh, in the Holy Land DVDs. So that's the documentary, Blu-rays, the study guide. Um, if you want to... Um, know more about Grafted Ministries, you can sign up for um, our update letters, our emails, I should say. And um, if you want to get on board and give towards Grafted Ministries, you can do that as well. We're a 100% um, donation-based 
uh, ministry. So we always love partnership and that, and that family uh, that we have in partnership. And um, I think that's, uh, that's it. That's all that's back there. Um, okay. well, and, and John and Benjamin will be back there yeah. uh, right away. Yeah. And maybe what we can touch base on too, maybe after that time is some current um, resources like we were talking about on how to follow what's happening in the Middle East right now um, with, with different types of news sources that, that uh, right. we can look at. And, that, and uh, go ahead. So, yeah, I was, I was going to say um, a really good news source is All Israel News. That's Joel Rosenberg's um, news outlet. It's fantastic, very trustworthy. Um, he also has All Arab News as well. And then um, uh, one that I've really enjoyed is TV7 News, and they do a, a, a daily update on what is going on in Israel right now. And they have, like, retired generals and people who are in the know-how uh, of uh, TV7, TV7, and you can watch it right on uh, on their website or on, on YouTube. They have it as well. Um, those are two really good resources. Um, yeah, CBN always going to have good Israel updates, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, TV7 Israel News, and I think if you uh, actually, I can see the website. It's TV7IsraelNews.com. So it's ch yeah. what Channel Seven in Israel, right? Yeah. Is that what and, it is? And okay. it's based in Jerusalem. the uh, The news anchor is a, a Jewish believer in Jesus. His name Jonathan Hessen, and um, so he brings a he also brings that that perspective, and he ends every single one with, "Pray for the peace of Jerusalem." Mm. Yeah. So the reason uh, I wanted to see if Todd could come out uh, sooner than later when John had told me uh, about him was because of the situation that is going over currently in the Middle East. It's just right in the forefront of our minds. And uh, I, it's caused a lot of people to really dig into uh, the history of the land. I think from a biblical perspective, uh, it's pretty obvious that God is the one who sovereignly gave that land to the Jewish people and continues to have a plan for them. But I think the understanding the conflict, like what happened during the, the uh, centuries from the, the time of Jesus until uh, Israel came into the land in 1948 and then understanding this conflict right now. And um, do you want to uh, uh, maybe address that a little bit um, in a nutshell and also uh, your um, uh, take on what is taking place over there right now? Uh, what, what part did you want me to nutshell real quick? The, just just, coming, <laughs> just <laughs> coming up to the, <laughs> the his, history? The history of the uh, land, okay. yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, that's a big nutshell, but I'll try to, uh, yeah. Just yeah. The yeah, yeah, so, uh, yeah, 19, um, for 400 years, the Ottomans ruled um, that area, okay? And in 1917, when they lost World War I, uh, that became, that, that part of, uh, of that land, that region, became under, it became the, under the control of the British. It was called the British Mandate, right? So the Brits had control of it from 1917 to 1947. And in 1947, the big thing that happened was um, the UN adopted a partition plan to adopt the, st uh, the land into two states, one Arab, one Jewish. Uh, although it was so much smaller than what the Jews were promised uh, by the British, 
if you look at the original mandate, it went all, they, they had like the entire land of Jordan too. It was really crazy. Um, it was a sliver of what they had, but they said, yeah, we'll take it. We, we've gotten nothing if, if we say no. They said yes, the Arabs said no, and, and uh, they've been, and the Arabs have been fighting, for, fighting against them ever since. Um, to nutshell that part. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So, you know what would probably be good yep. is to repeat the question okay. for the people who are going to be watching it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, so, you, you asked uh, during the uh, Ottoman Empire, was that when Palestine was established? So, there is, and this is something that, that, um, the media, it seems to perpetuate, it tell the story that there was some sort of Palestinian state. Uh, there's never been a sovereign Palestinian state in the history of the world, ever. Um, and so what happened was in, I told you about 135 AD, the second Jewish revolt, the emperor in Rome hated the Jews so much he wanted to smear them. So he named that area um, Palestine, Palestinia, which is Palestine today, which is after their ancient enemies, the Philistines. Are the Palestinians the Philistines? Absolutely not, right? I mean, there might be some, it's a hodgepodge of people, but the Palestinians are, ex, or sorry, the Philistines are extinct. They don't exist anymore. The Palestinians, so coming up into the Ottoman Empire, and let's just say the British mandate, that was a region. It was, it was a part of Southern Syria, okay? Um, it was always a region, and the people who were there were referred to, the, so, so the first Jewish newspaper was called the Palestinian Gazette or something like that. Jews were referred to Palestinian Jews, like the, it's region. Uh, Arabs did not adopt the name as Palestinians until after 1967, okay? Um, so it's a very new thing. Um, and yes, they have there has never been a sovereign state. Yes, and, and then people who were, were there already, yeah, in that area. Uh, and, and then one, one thing to add to that, um, when, when the Jews began to migrate into Israel in the late 1800s, early 1900s, during the early Zionist movement, um, they, brought, they brought a lot of work. And so a lot of the Arabs started moving into Israel to work. It wasn't Israel at the time. It was the Palestine, yeah, right, the, the British Mandate area. So... Um, a lot of, yes, a lot of uh, the surrounding Arabs from whether it be Jordan or Egypt, um, they, they had moved in. So, uh, you know, it's, things are a little more nuanced than um, what we might be led to believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and then they, uh, uh, in, in 1948, that's when they declared statehood at right. that point. So, yep, and then backing up before that, we had, uh, at the end of World War I, they had um, the San Remo uh, uh, Conference, and they, they agreed to give, and it was, it's a binding international law that that land was gonna go to the, um, the Jewish people, okay? And then you have Arthur uh, Balfour, who is the Foreign Secretary of Britain, and he writes what is famously called the Balfour Declaration, that that land, he basically codified it. 
he put into action of what what happened in San Remo the years prior that that land towards the Jewish people, um, and then yet in 1947 uh, they they uh, the UN partition plan is adopted, and 1948 May May 14, 1948 Israel declares sovereignty. Right. Yeah. And is there any possibility of a two-state solution? Okay, this is something that I, when, I'm, when I'm hearing the news and I hear politicians say, well, this is proof that we need a two-state solution, it makes me want to tear out my hair because it, what we saw on October 7th is proof that a two-state solution will not work in what we have. Okay, you can't, uh, the, Gaza was like a mini test to a two-state solution. They were, it, um, the Gaza Strip was completely autonomous, completely. They had their own government, everything. And what, instead of making that, so what happened in 2005, Ariel Sharon, who's passed away, decided as a goodwill, uh, he probably had other reasons, but one of them was a goodwill towards the Palestinians. We'll give you land, you give us peace. Uh, there was a, a number of Israeli settlers who lived there and they, they flourished there. I don't know if you guys know this, but Gaza, where the um, Israelis grew all of the um, cucumbers, organic cucumbers for the entire state of Israel in the Gaza Strip, it's very f fertile. Yes, yeah, and it was very advanced. Um, yes, and so um, the Jews were forcibly removed out of the Gaza Strip, every single one of them. By the, those who wouldn't go were dragged out of their homes by the IDF. It was, it was, tr it was traumatic. And what happened was they gave it to the, the Palestinians, and soon after that, the, the Palestine, uh, um, Hamas took over. They actually they won the vote, but they also took over. Uh, they, what they did, they kind of had a joint thing with the P Palestinian Authority, and then they eventually took it all over, and they threw the Palestinian Authority um, leaders off roofs and drug them behind cars and, um, in Hamas fashion, and they created a terrorist state. And their, their entire goal, if you read the Hamas Charter, is the, entire, the annihilation of all the Jewish people. Because they want us, they want us from Israel. They want to set up uh, the Islamic Caliphate, like ISIS did. They're, that's why they say ISIS. Is, I mean, the, the same thing as ISIS and Al Qaeda. They're looking to establish the Islamic Caliphate, and Israel's first. Um, so um, it's not about Hamas is not wanting to, a two-state solution. They don't want to. They don't want peace. They don't. You know, they don't want a peace agreement. They want the annihilation of the Jews in, in Israel and in in the world and then the Christians. So we're next. I mean, that's the thing people don't understand. This is a war of civilizations right now. This is not just something going on in Israel. This is coming to a, a town near you. If it, you know, um, a border, yeah, an open border near you. Um, there you go. So um, yeah, it's very, very, very spiritual. Um, you could read in the um, Hamas charter, the Islamic uh, Hadith, which is quoted, a hadith is, um, it's, it's like the Quran. It, it, is, it is authoritative for uh, Muslims. And I am gonna paraphrase, uh, paraphrase it, but it says, the end will not come until all the uh, Muslims fight the Jews and kill all the Jews. And the Jews who are left will be hiding behind a tree or a rock. And the tree will say, oh Muslim, there's a Jew hiding behind me, come and finish him. They quote this. And this is quoted all over the Palestinian territories right now. I mean, every, I have a, 
Palestinian friend who's actually in the movie. He's my guide. You will never see his face, and we distort his voice, and we give him a new name because he would be killed if people knew who he was. Um, but he says he could hear he can hear this from the mosque every Friday. They're saying this ever, ever since October 7th. Um, so jihad is our goal. Um, and a two-state solution, no. It, because, here's the thing, because the Palestinian Authority, which, so you have the Gaza Strip in, in the south, totally separate from the West Bank. Total, I mean, they, there's no connection. There's no connecting road. They're just Palestinians. That's their connection. But the West Bank is run by the Palestinian Authority. And Mahmoud Abbas is in his like 18th year of his four-year term, okay? And he hasn't held elections because he knows Hamas will win, okay? So it's actually probably good that he hasn't held an election, but he also is known for, for what they call um, uh, pay to slay. So the, the more, so a, a big part of their national budget in the Palestinian Authority goes to pay terrorists to commit acts against Jews. And the more Jews you kill, the more money you get. This is, this, this is Israel's peace partner, by the way. This is, this is who this, the, the world and our American administration want to take over the Gaza Strip as well. And they're no, they're no peace partner. They, they want the, the uh, actually Mahmoud Abbas wrote his dissertation on some form of hol Holocaust denial. Mm. So that's, mm. that's what we're dealing with here. And until, until they get, until the Palestinians can get a, uh, a government that is not totally corrupt and that does not teach their kids to hate Jews and want to kill them, you can't have a two-state solution with people like that. Imagine having, I mean, that, for us, I guess, San Diego, like San Diego City, imagine if Mexico wanted to come in and just annihilate San Diego citizens. What would we do? What do yeah, we'd take action. Build the wall. Right, <laughs> build the wall. <laughs> right, yes, yes, so, um, that's kind of what's going on. So a two-state solution is, is very scary to me. That, but here's the thing. I, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. And nobody knows what's going to happen. But there's so much pressure on Israel right now. The U.S. is putting... Mm -hmm. a, a, the U.S., thank God, is standing with Israel. Um, but it, it's kind of like we're standing with you. We're supplying you. You need to... We agree you need to uh, take out Hamas. But you need to do it quick. And you don't... Don't do it this way. Don't do it this way. Don't touch Iran. Who, Iran's behind all this. Iran f totally funds Hamas. They t not totally, because the, um, the Qataris do as well. Um, they fund Hezbollah in the north, which is about 15 times a stronger force than Hamas. And they fund the Houthis, who are launching rockets at Israel from Yemen right now. So the entire Middle East is destabilized by Iran. And that's the head of the snake. And we, our, this administration, we've given them $6 billion. We unfroze it. And right after this, this happened. So, um, what's that? In the, in the trade? It's a bad deal. So, um, yeah, it's, it's sad to see the pressure that uh, it, we're putting on Israel and the world is putting on Israel. And uh, the UN's calling for a ceasefire. Uh, a ceasefire sounds really good. It's kind of like spiritualizing. Oh, that sounds good. Well, that means Hamas wins, Israel loses, and Hamas will do, like they said, we will do October 7th again and again and again and again and again. This is their, they, they honestly believe they will win. I mean, this is what the Quran, uh, uh, some form, like some interpretations the Quran teaches, that 
the Jews will all die at the hands of the Muslims and, and the Islamic Messiah will help that. And same with Jesus. Jesus actually comes and ki kills Jews and Christians in the end too. So, uh, yeah, that's a form of it. Yep. The Quran is a false doctrine. Oh, certainly. Right. Certainly, I would say that's why this is, I, it's, it, let's call it what it is, it's, it's satanic. It's satanic. It's a satanic influence thing. It, that's very unpolitically unwoke thing to say, but let's just say what it is. Yeah, it's a spiritual war. Any questions? Gene. So when, rise, when we're to pray for, when we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, what are we praying for? Or peace in the Middle East? Yeah, so Psalm 122, um, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Also, uh, Isaiah 62, uh, Isaiah says, those who call on the Lord, so who prays here? Anybody? Okay. Those who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Okay, so what does that mean? Ultimately, I think what we're praying for is, um, is Messiah, Jesus, to come back and bring his peace because that's what's going to happen. So ultimately, when we're praying for the peace of, of Israel, we're praying for the peace of the entire world. Um, and, that, and that peace comes through the Messiah, Jesus. Um, and I, I think in general, it's good to pray for peace, right? It's a, we're, we're blessed are the peacemakers. Um, but and we also have to be smart about it. That's not like, that, that doesn't mean call for a ceasefire in the same way that you would never tell the allied forces who were closing in on the Nazis for a ceasefire. Because Hitler would be like, yeah, ceasefire, ceasefire. And then he would kill all the Jews and wipe out the allied and take over Europe, right? You, the, the right thing to do is, is take the Nazis out, right? Because of what they want to do. And, the, and they want to kill so many people, you've got to, kill them. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, good, good question. It, you know what it reminded me of was in Jeremiah 29, where uh, they've been taken captive to Babylon, and the Lord is letting them know, you're going to be there for a while, so go ahead and build houses and pray for the peace of that land, for in its peace, you will have peace. And so I think maybe Great. that's a, an yeah. idea with that as well. Yeah. yeah. It's another person. Don? Fits in to the whole worldview 
because if you really believe the Muslim faith, uh, it's it's saying you're gonna you're gonna be become a Muslim, or you're gonna end up dead, hey, or, yeah. or in bond, in bondage. Right. Real quickly, hold that thought. Michael, are you able to pull the the uh, room mic up in like to, like route it straight over to VMix maybe and and pull that up so we don't have to repeat the question? Perfect. Uh, so really, really to nutshell, what you were asking is is the uh, the literal uh, mm. interpretation for the the jihadist is that is holy war and and advance it through force, um, but there's a lot of Kind of, there's a lot of moderates. Too. Moderates like there thank, is in Christianity. Yeah, thank, let's say. thank God there's a lot of mo entire countries that are moderate. Thank, thank God. Like I'm not going to name them, but um, but there's enough that read it that way. To it's it's like a whole country worth, right? Iran, for example, their entire leaders. That's why they're reading it that way because they believe that the coming of the Islamic Messiah, the twelfth Mahdi, um, that if you create chaos in the world, you speed up the Mahdi's coming. And, um, and one thing I'm learning recently, if you compare um, Islam's teaching of their Messiah and you compare the Bible's teaching of the Antichrist, it looks like they're the same person. Mm. To the point where it gets so detailed that the Islamic Messiah makes a seven-year covenant with Israel and he makes his headquarters on the Temple Mount. Mm -hmm. so, th that's Daniel. That's Daniel wow. 7. Um, there's, there's other, I mean, really, it, there's a lot of... Um, things that are happening. I mean, the, a lot of bullet points to hit there of the similarities between the two. But also, I think that's why, I don't know if you guys have heard the stories of millions of Muslims around the world are having dreams of Jesus. He visits them in dreams. They know that who he is. They know who he is. They know enough of who this guy is. And he, he says something like, follow me, whatever it is. Um, I mean, they all have different nuances to him, but, and they become believers in Jesus and Christians. And it's happening all, I've, I've heard these stories because I worked for an international mission organization, the Jesus Film Project. I've heard the stories for over 20 years. Wow. Um, and uh, I recently heard a story of 200 Muslims in Gaza having a dream of Jesus in one night. I was trying to get that verified by like boots on the ground by one of my friends who has staff there. He says, even if that, you, he said that we're hearing reports like that all the time. So even if that one is not verified, it's happening all the time. So the good thing is, is I think when Muslims come and encounter with Jesus, they want him. Because who doesn't, right? They're living in fear. This is what they've been taught, though. So they're living in fear because they never know if they're going to do good enough. Um, so, yeah, does that answer your, is that part of your question? Okay. Good. Carlos? I think that's above my pay grade. I think Obama said that, but, um, you know. Good way to segue So, okay, anyways, um, like him or hate him, um, under Trump, the, the Abraham Accords happened, and they're the most historic peace agreements with Israel and the um, 
the Muslim countries around them, Arab countries. They're absolutely historic because they never happened before. And so, um, you know, they may, that's with Morocco, Sudan, UAE, Bahrain, and Saudi Arabia. There, there's another one, you guys, um, missing one. But Saudi Arabia was, was the one that was supposed to happen, and it, and it didn't. Uh, and, you know, Jared Kushner said that um, this administration was, it was like in golf terms, the ball wasn't like on the green, and now it's 150 feet back in the sand trap because uh, the Biden administration ruined that re relationship with Saudi Arabia. Um, and um, so maybe that'll happen, I'm not sure. But I have no idea. I mean, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I, I have no idea. I would like to see, I would like to see Hamas destroyed. I would like to see a new day for the Palestinians and Israelis. I would like to see Hezbollah destroyed and Iran destroyed. I mean, you know, the, these are the troublers who say they don't want peace. They, they, they want, they're, they're satanically driven to kill Jews and Christians and anybody else who's not a Muslim. So, and the Houthis, yeah, the, the, who, the Houthis, yeah. Sheila? Yeah. Of Hamas? Like the citizens, the Palestinian citizens. The citizens I bet. Yeah, that's interesting, right? They voted them into power. Um, You know, I'm sure it's a mixed bag. I know for one, uh, Joel Rosenberg's been reporting in all Arab news that there's a thousand Christians and there's only about a thousand Christians left in Gaza and they're, um, they're hiding out in two churches. And although Israel made that corridor to go to the south, they didn't want to get in that corridor because they don't, they're deathly afraid that their women are going to get raped by Hamas and the, they're going to be killed, much like ISIS did to Christians. Um, so there, I, I know certainly they're afraid. I think people are probably, I think it's probably a mixed bag. I think a lot of people probably, what's that? What about the Palestinians? The, well, they are Palestinians. Oh. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they're, they're Palestinian Christians. Um, but yeah, I, here, and here, here's the thing. Um, I, one thing when we're hearing numbers of people, this is kind of a little bit different because I don't know exactly if, I'm not sure if they're afraid of them or not. You know, I mean, I do know they're 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 taking aid when it comes in at gunpoint. They're taking aid from people, which they're not supposed to be, and they're using it for their fighters. Um, but that's how the society is built. The highest aim is jihad, right? And the and the Hamas fighters are like the heroes. That I mean, they're the absolute heroes in in the Palestinian society. And so when Hamas builds their tunnels under the civilians. They're like, it's like the civilians are protecting the heroes, right? They put it under hospitals and element. And we, we think this is sick, but this is how they're like the heroes of, of the culture because they're fighting Israel. So it makes sense to them. Yeah, maybe it makes sense to them. Um, yeah, so that was, uh, one other thing was 
when you hear numbers on, on the media, those numbers are of uh, Palestinian civilians dying. Those numbers are given by Hamas. Okay, so, and this is not Hamas's first rodeo. They have been doing this for so long where um, they inflate numbers, uh, they launch a rocket and it misfires and it goes into the building, they blame Israel for it, and then two minutes later they say they have a body count somehow. Like how, how in two minutes did you get a body count? It takes Israel like a day to count how many, you know, to come up with their numbers. What the Hamas comes up in two minutes, so there are 500 innocent civilians died. And then later on, it's like dwindles. Um, so you can't believe anything you hear out of, of like civilian deaths. Um, also, one other thing I do, I definitely believe, and I've been every day, every day I pray for innocent Palestinian, uh, Palestinians in Gaza to be spared and for God to protect them. Another thing that I think is a little more nuanced than we actually think, maybe a lot more nuanced, um, is what is innocent? Because if, if we teach, let's say we teach our kids to hate a group of people, right? Hate that group of people. Let's say, I don't know, pick a, pick a group. I, I don't really want to pick a group. But yeah, um, I don't want to be the guy to do it. And anyways, and then you, you tell your kids and then your religion tells them, hate that group, kill that group at all costs. And you teach them from when they're infants and you glorify those who kill them. Well, what about the Hamas fighters that are fighting today? What about their parents? Are they not culpable? Like how, how innocent are people in this, right? I know there's innocence. I know, people, there, I know there's people that want nothing to do with it. But there's a lot more going on there than what we hear on the, the media of like innocent Palestinians and then they're fighting Hamas, right? I think there's more going on there. Great. Pam? Um, just a question. Um, I'm not sure. I, th I, I have heard the same thing. I just, I'm fuzzy on it, so I don't, yeah. Go Somebody Google it. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I think you're on to something there because it's, it's the same thing. It's kind of floating in the back of my mind. Bob, did, was it, did Clef Myers say you either come under the, in Islam, you either come uh, under the house, uh, the sword of Islam or the house of Islam? Did he say that? Is that, that might be in the documentary. Yeah, There's, no, it was in. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah so it, it, it is very much submit. Very, very much submit. Yep. Uh, Bob? Yeah, well, Israel is our ally, and we are supposed to be supporting them. Everybody that attacks Israel is funded by the United States. That's sad. It's really, really sad. For example, I agree. you've got a family with maybe five children, one of them straps on the vest, walks into a mall, takes out a bunch of Jewish people. All of a sudden, that family is set up for life because of the actions of the one child. And the money that sets that family up comes from the United States. And the European Union and, and stuff, yeah. yeah. Mm. And I just, you know, that's just a comment I wanted to make. Right. It's just really sad. And, and Iran. I mean, we've... we've we, by, by listening to sanctions, they, I, I, from what I understood, Iran was nearly penniless uh, when, um, at, during the last administration. That they, they, their oil revenue was way, 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 way down because of the sanctions, and now it's sky high, and they've been using that money to, they're the biggest state sponsor of terrorism around the world. So. 
You know, when you're talking about the the, the idea and, and uh, the previous comment about uh, the brainwashing, basically, indoctrination from when they're young, and, and you, so you can understand, to a degree, the mindset of, of why there's the hatred, and they're, they're, you know, freedom fighters, and they're fighting for this and that. Is that the same thing that's happening uh, with the support we see around the world and more specifically in the U.S., why are so many people uh, um, supporting the Palestinian side and so anti-Jewish? Yeah, I think, well, look what's happened in the last three years here. We had the BLM movement where you have, it says that you have the oppressor and the oppressed, right? And the oppressor is 100% guilty and you have the oppressed which is not like 100% not guilty, right? Uh, it's this narrative that nothing in life works that way. So we've been, condi we've been conditioning our kids to stand up for the oppressed, right? Which is a good thing if you know who the oppressed are. But what Satan's done is he, he's weaved a really, really crafty argument. Um, and it goes something like this. If you're, a, if you're a Christian, or we could say, if let's just say for Christians, because Christians are getting on the bandwagon. If you're a Christian, you'll be for the oppressed. Two, the Palestinians are oppressed, the, the oppressed, so the, the, the ones that are being oppressed. Three, Israel is oppressing them. And four is, well, you should be against Israel because you're a Christian and you don't, you're not for the oppressed. The, the very crafty thing is, is one and two are, are correct. The Palestinians are oppressed. And as Christians, we should be for the oppressed, but the Palestinians are not oppressed because of Israel. They're oppressed because of their own radical Islamic ideology, uh, because of the effects on anti-Semitism within their country. And you, I mean, you saw Hashemin al-Husseini, the grand move to Jerusalem, hit uh, that, that guy who uh, was, he was on Nazi payroll. He wanted to establish concentration camps in Israel. This is prior to the state of Israel. I, yep, I believe that that's kind of like a DNA that, that kind of, you know, those generational curses that you hear about, like satanic generation. I believe that is somewhat on the Palestinian people. Um, so, yeah, I mean. What do we call them Palestinians? Because they're not Palestinians. <laughs> there is no Palestinians. <laughs> I, 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 I know for lack of a better term. Yeah, I know. That's. Yeah, I think it's just to identify. Yeah, it's, uh, it, uh, yeah. yeah. at it, some point, yeah. 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 But, but you know what, they, sure. But I, I also, I do, I do think it's okay that they have, they have national aspirations. It's, it's, I mean, just like the, the Syrians got their own state and Lebanon got their own state and Jordan got their own state, you know? Um, Jordanians are Jordanians now. So I don't think, I, I, I believe it's, really important to know the truth behind that whole, like when it all happened, but I'm not entirely against like Palestinians want to be. Yes, it's true. Yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, um, Lee, did you want to say something? Well, something you said at the beginning of the speech that kind of went over my head and I'm trying to pull it back in, but you were talking about the churches um, or something moving on from the Jewish inheritance or the, the, the beginning of um, including the Jewish faith into your Christianity as opposed to sort of moving on and just talking about Christianity but not including the Jewish heritage. Does that make sense? 
in the beginning when you were talking? Um, yeah, you know, replacement, is replacement theology. theology, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I think that's fascinating. It is, it is very fascinating. Christian fascinating. shooting itself in the foot. Right, here. yes. And I'd like to expand on that. Well, um, I, uh, 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 Paul expands on it in Romans, and what and, and what and what Paul what Paul does is he 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 gives this illustration of olive tree, and the olive tree uh, had, the the roots of the olive tree are the um, the covenant God made with Abraham, so the Abrahamic covenant, the patriarchs, right? And then it the the olive tree is a place of spiritual blessing, and it's a pl- it's for physical and everything. It's God's redeeming the entire world, right? And it's his plan to do that. And so if you look at a tree, and the, and the tree is made up of, uh, Paul says that um, it ha- the nat- there's natural branches in it, and then there's broken off branches, and then there's grafted in branches. So the natural branches are Jewish believers in Jesus. That's their tree. Paul says they, that, but yeah, Paul says the olive tree is owned by Israel right? It's their tree. The broken off branches are Jews who do, do not believe, right? But Paul also talks about them, like he says, he, but he, was he, what he says about them, if the root is holy, down here, the, the Abraham and the patriarchs, yeah. so are the branches. So even in their brokenness, God calls them holy. It doesn't mean they're saved. They're holy. The, God's covenant goes on, right? Um, and then you have the grafted in branches, which are Gentiles. So we are grafted in, we are partaking in the place of spiritual blessing. We partake, the, different, the difference between replacement theology, uh, uh, where we'd go in error, and an accurate way of reading scripture is, we partake as Gentiles and we don't take over. And when you partake, you're, you, you, are, um, you have gratitude. And real quick, I will read Ephesians two. Gratitude and the Jewish uh, yeah, sorry. A gratitude. You, you have a gratitude attitude of gratitude towards the Jewish people for what they've done, right? Yeah. They've given us not just the Old Testament. They give us the New Testament. Every book was written by the Jews, except mm. maybe Luke, but that's even debatable. <clears throat> um, so they and they gave us ultimately Jesus. Um, and then uh, Paul talks mm. in Ephesians two. He says two thirteen. Let me read it. Eleven. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. At that time, you were separated from Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth or citizenship in other uh, translations, the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Jesus, you who are once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. So we were once hopeless, but now because of Jesus, we're brought into this covenant, which includes Jews. Um, it's a Jewish covenant. So that, yeah, the church got away from that. And instead of partaking, it said we take over. And basically what replacement theology says is that, the yes. And, and, and when you, the church takes over, it's primarily, it's primarily Gentiles, okay? And so where Jeremiah and all the prophets of the exile, they have all these very rich promises of restoration of the Jewish people to physically to their land and then spiritually, right? Back to their God. It takes those and it gives it, and it, and it, and it gives it to the church instead, right? 
And so it says, replacement theology says, there are no, um, there's nothing special anymore with Israel. There are no more future promises to ethnic national Israel. Right, but consequentially, the consequences of that are that there's this just apathy towards this, yeah. this yeah. attitude towards Israel was viciously attacked and now there's this apathy. Yeah, yeah that's so a good point. So that would play into my question I had to you earlier. Why, why is there this belief worldwide and also in our, in our nation? I think replacement theology oh, play, plays right. its And yeah, I was that. also going to, and real quick, when, when you cut your, when a, re, when a tree is cut it off from its roots, what happens? It dies. Okay, so if we cut ourselves off from our Jewish roots, we die. Mm. Um, I, what I meant to do is I wanted to go in and talk about what's happening in the universities um, and this, this alliance between the far left and, um, and, and Hamas. How did that happen? Well, Hamas made plans in the 90s to infiltrate the US and they did it through different names, right? They have student unions all over our, all over our campuses uh, student, and, and students, SJP, Students for Justice in Palestine. I guess that means all dead, all the Jews are dead. I guess that's their justice. Um, they're the, they're the ones, and I'm not exactly sure if they're if totally directly affiliated with Hamas, but they definitely fight, I mean, they're on the bandwagon. You know, they're, they're the ones that are saying, uh, you, you, what's that? Yeah, cheerleaders. They're saying at any cost, Israel deserved at any cost, you know? Their banners, right? Uh, um, I remember seeing their banners in their protests. It was the paragliders that came in and, and the, the, the Hamas operatives that came in and massacred those people at that festival using para paragliders. They, so those guys became the heroes. And so these student unions have been at work for like 30 years in the States of spreading lies about Israel and about the Jewish people and about what's going on there. And there's so much ignorance. And then you have wokeism and you have ignorance of wokeism. And it's somehow this unholy alliance has been made with the far left and with Islam, and it's absolutely crazy. You know it's spiritual because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like for example, queers for Palestine. You see, that's not my words, that's theirs. Yeah. That, that, like, I, I, the, 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 that, that would be, yes, and that would be like chickens for KFC. <laughs> right? Chickens yeah. die when KFC comes, right? Okay. Yeah, homosexuals die when you live in uh, Hamas-controlled territory. So there's that level of ignorance. They have no idea what they're supporting, but they're supporting it. And they're jumping on, and people don't know what's going on. People have no idea. Christians are biblically illiterate. I mean, the generation, younger generation, they don't, Israel holds no importance to them. And then they've, been, they, they've bought into the lies of, the Palestinian narratives are, they're strong. I mean, this is, uh, this is, this has been, I mean, this has been happening for 30 years. They've been yeah. drilling the West. And then the church, the church has been hosting in the West um, Palestinian Christians who are very, very anti-Israel. Yeah. I'm not saying all of them are, but there's a number, a number of key. Yes, very. And they don't believe that Israel is still God's chosen people. And they, I mean, they buy into all the Palestinian narratives and they perpetuate it. So, um, as yeah. do the Palestinian Christians that yes. you talked with over there as, as well. Yes. Re replacement yes. theology yes. is what they would yes. hold to. Yeah, and it makes sense to them. Yeah. You know, billions of dollars into the colleges. Hamas, Qatar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Qatar is. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, no, no, no. You go, um, I've got an article that I can forward to you on replacement theology. Uh, not a real long article, but I can, it'll, it'll really kind of put it in a nutshell. Victoria, did you have a comment or question? Uh, according to the Islam, he did. <laughs> yeah. According to Islam, he did. Like the Muslims believe he worshipped Allah. Um, yeah. It's a twisted. It's a very. It's a very twisted. Okay. Yeah. For example, um, where God makes a promise, you'll find that Islam comes and counters it. So God makes a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Islam comes and says, no, we curse you. Okay. God says, the promise, I will bless the world through, Ish, uh, through Isaac, not Ishmael. Ishmael. Ishmael was blessed. He was taken care of. But I'm going to redeem the world through Isaac. Islam comes and says, no, it's through Ishmael. Ishmael, Ishmael was sacrificed by um, you know the binding of Isaac on Mount Moriah? Yeah. Uh, that, that, in, in Muslim uh, theology, that was Ishmael. Um, yeah, and it, it, in the Bible, Jesus comes and redeems the Jews, and he actually fights the enemies of the Antichrist. And, um, and there's a strict punishment for anybody who messed with his people. Well, in the Islam comes and says, in the Quran and the Hadith say, say that when, a G, G, when Jesus comes back, he kills all the Jews and he kills all the Christians who don't submit to Islam. It's, they flipped because they believe that Christians and Jews could, um, messed with all the texts and they corrupted it. Mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that's their thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, tell you what, let's for time's sake, because we could, <laughs> I mean, seriously, could we not? I mean, come on, we could keep going. But let's go ahead and wrap it up with... Uh, with uh, prayer and then Todd will be here for a, yep. for, for a while yep. and we'll be out there. We got some refreshments out there and um, we can have spent some more time talking out there. How does that sound? Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and pray. I'll close in prayer because I want to pray for you, Todd, and your ministry as well, okay? Father, we want to thank you so much for this night tonight and to be able to talk about this subject that is so current um, in our day today. And I thank you so much for how you've... Um, laid on Todd's heart from a, a very early age. And I just think about uh, when Paul speaks about being called from his mother's womb and, and the same with Jeremiah. And it's just so awesome how you do that in our lives and how you've done that with Todd too and where you've brought him right now at, at this particular point in his life and the way you're working through him and touching other people's lives. And we would just like to pray for him for his wife and his children and for Grafted Ministries and just pray for your perfect will to be done, that you would open the doors that you want him to go through and that you'd make it obvious to him as well where you'd be closing doors. May you just use him to educate um, um, the church and others on the, the truth of uh, this issue that's been going on for, for the entirety of all of our lives, this unrest that's been taking place in the Middle East and most importantly, that the gospel would be clearly communicated and just how much you love 
the entire world and want to see people repent and come to you and have salvation because that's really what it all uh, uh, amounts to in the end is that we pass from this life into your presence and we thank you that you made that way available through Jesus and may we proclaim that uh, wherever we go. Thank you for this evening and may you continue to bless our time together in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank Todd, you thank guys you. so much. Thank you God for having you. me.